0: Hey, everyone. If you would like to support what I'm doing with Controversies in Church History and help me to expand its reach, please click on my Anchor page and click the support button to donate. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Derek Taylor. You are listening to the Controversies in Church History podcast. This is the latest episode of our ongoing series called Catholic Lives, in which we dive into the lives of Catholics who are not saints, uh, who have some claim to fame or to be interesting or edifying for us. This is episode 13, the life of the outlaw, bloody Bill Lonely. Well, I haven't got much to say, I have got to die. I see a good many enemies around me and mighty few friends. When I first read those words as a child in the time-life books my parents bought about the Old West, I was struck by them. They're the words of William Preston Longley when he was on the scaffold just about to be executed. There are many legends and fables about gunmen from the western frontier, but those words have always stuck with me for some reason, perhaps because of the loneliness and isolation they project about someone about to die, someone who is hated. In this case, for good reasons. The myth of the frontier, the myth of the heroic outlaw, are part and parcel of an American's heritage, with its individualism, ideals of self-reliance. I suppose I, I, as a young boy, I guess in a way, idolized gunman like Bill Longley. But this week, our story is about his real life, and the story of a man who was definitely no hero. But like all of us, stood in need of reconciliation and of God's grace. William Preston Longley was born October 6, 1851 in Austin County, Texas, just outside of Austin. And when he was two years old, his family moved him to Lee County, outside of Austin. And he was the son of a man named Campbell Longley Texas Revolutionary War veteran. And so he grew up in Lee County. His parents were devout Christians, apparently Christians of some sort, Protestants I imagine. But Bill Longley would be the only one of their children who did not follow in their footsteps. Because during the reconstruction era in Texas in the 1860s and 1870s, Texas was under the control of the Union Army. If you don't recall after the Civil War, Southern states, the army remained down in the South and literally controlled it, governed it as a military territory, conquered territory. This left allegedly a bitterness among a lot of young men in the South. Young men like Bill Longley, even though Bill Longley had not fought in the Civil War, this led him like a lot of young men to despise northerners but also freed slaves. And this is in fact what leads to his first act of violence as a gunman. In 1868, Longley and a few others, a couple of his companions, stopped three former slaves on their way to visit friends in Austin County. They tried to swap horses with the black men, but they refused. They left, but later came back, did Longley and company, and pulled their weapons on the black men, and made them march into a creek bottom. When one of the former slaves panicked, panicked and fled, the white men gunned him down while all the rest of the black men fled. Most of the time thought Longley had killed the black man, although he later claimed all three of them had killed him. Fearing arrest by the Union Army, which almost certainly would have happened, he flees Austin. And from there, his life is a mixture of fact and fiction. For example, he makes up a lot of stories about himself. He tells a story that after his first killing, he was grabbed by a lynch mob. And hanged only to have be saved by someone shooting the rope. By 1870, there was a thousand dollar bounty on his head for having killed a man named Paul Bryce, another ex-slave, and probably another black woman as well, besides stealing horses. Because of all this, he became, of course, a wanted man and left Texas in 1870. From there, he went to the Black Hills of South Dakota to join a gold hunting expedition but it disbanded because mine was prohibited there. So instead, Longley joined the army. Within weeks, he tried to desert, but he was captured, but then released the following winter, which was very brutal because of the compassion of his commander. In his later life, he denied ever having been in the army, but one sergeant remembered him as being, quote, an idle boaster, notorious liar, and a man of low instinct and habits but tolerated on account of his good nature, gift of gab and excellent marksmanship. Longley left the army for good in 1872 and showed up again in Texas by 1873, where he reportedly killed another black man named Price. Shortly after he was captured by vigilantes pursuing a gang of horse thieves that he was running with and taken to the sheriff. The sheriff tried to claim the reward, but because this was reconstruction, the reward was being offered by the Union Army. Uh, Apparently the sheriff was not uh, too keen on this. And so instead of turning him in, he actually lets him go, allegedly because someone paid his bail. The next year he returned home and at the instigation of his uncle, murdered a man named Wilson Anderson, For allegedly having murdered his cousin. From there, he fled to Oklahoma with his brother Jim who soon returned to Texas, but the very much wanted bill at this point had to keep going on. 1875, after a drunken fight, Longley shot a young man named George Thomas three times in the back. He stole his horse and took off again. The next year, when he was living under an assumed name, Jim Webb, he found himself uh, in a position to be deputized, if you can imagine. <laughs> and he tried to arrest another wounded fugitive, a man named William Schroyer, uh, a Pennsylvanian and a former Union soldier. When he went to arrest him, we got to do a shootout. And in fact, they were shooting back and forth. Schroyer was hiding in a underbrush. And at one point, Schroyer uh, asked him to talk. And when Longley came forward, Schroyer tried to kill him. Longley pulled his gun first and fired and killed him instead. This is probably the only legitimate gunfight he was ever actually in. As you can kind of tell, most of his murders are basically ambushes, shooting people in the back, stuff like this. By February of 1876, he had fled to the Eastern part of Texas where he became a worker and a farmer for a farmer and a preacher named William Lay. When a dispute between Longley and Lay's son led him to pistol whip the son. Uh, And he, by the way, Longley at this point was going by the name William Black. Uh, He was arrested. He subsequently escaped from the jail by burning a hole through the prison door and later exacted revenge against William Lay. He blamed him for having gotten him into prison. And so he went to his farm and lay in wait And when Lay went to to milk his cow, while he was milking a cow, he ambushed him and shot him dead in cold blood. By this time, he is very notorious and the Texas Rangers and other authorities are on the lookout for him. So he turns up in 1877, the spring of 1877 in Keechee, Louisiana in DeSoto Parish. While he was there, he befriended a local constable named June Courtney even helping him make arrests. Eventually, Courtney came across a letter, a circular letter from Texas, describing the outlaw, Bill Longley. And Courtney uh, realized almost instantly that the man he knew as Bill Jackson was this Bill Longley. And so he asked Longley to come help him with an arrest. And when he did, he was immediately captured uh, with surrounded by three men who arrested him on June 6, 1877. For the next couple of months while awaiting trial, Longley tried to make hay of his infamy. He wrote long letters to newspapers detailing his gunfights, um, trying to brag, bragging, I say try. he did brag uh, loudly about his exploits. And he claimed to have killed 32 men In reality, it was probably closer to seven. But he wanted to outdo his fellow Texan, John Wesley Harden, who was in prison in Florida at the time, who claimed to have killed 28 men. By comparison, uh, Billy the Kid had claimed to have killed 21. So this was a way of sort of burnishing his reputation, I guess. He also claimed in these letters not to have been a thief or a cattle rustler, rustler, something that was definitely false. He was tried on September 3rd, 1877 and the jury after only an hour and a half uh, convicted him. And from this point in his life, brief life was left to it, lonely changed a bit. The prospect of death must have sobered him up a bit and make him reflect on what he, uh, the life he had lived. And in particular, what it must have meant to his parents His parents were devastated by all of this, again, being religious folk. Neither his father nor his mother ever visited him in prison, nor did they come to his trial. But he did write a series of letters to his brothers, uh, which remains actually in an archive down at the University of Texas in Austin, in which he ruled the kind of life he had lived. Quote, from one of the letters, my first step was disobedience next week's next whiskey drinking, next carrying pistols, next gambling, and then murder. And I suppose the next step will be the gallows. He tried to take back all his boast about killing uh, killing a high number of men, which was wise because that probably doomed his chances for an appeal later on. Uh, but did not work out, obviously in the end. He also publicly expressed outrage when John Wesley Hart, who in Florida was convicted for murdering a sheriff and his deputy, was only given a 25 year prison sentence. Quote, don't you think it is a one-sided thing to kill me for my sins and only give Hardin 25 years in prison? That last quotation should give you a, a hint that things have changed a bit in his life because um, Longley tries to escape in early March 1878 but is easily caught. And on the 13th, his appeal is denied. And so while he's waiting sentencing uh, uh, for his crime in 1878 in July of 1878 in Galveston, he converts to Catholicism Watching on YouTube, you can see the picture St. Mary's Cathedral from the 1860s. St. Mary's Cathedral is still there in Galveston today, and it was there that he was baptized uh, by a French priest uh, named Father Chambodou. Father chambodou was from France uh, and uh, uh, ordained in 1840, 1846. In the 1850s, he became the um, 1851. He became the vicar general to the bishop in Texas. Um, actually, he was a pretty well-known person, went on a speaking tour throughout the state to lecture on and answer questions about Catholicism. And it's an interesting background. He's baptized um, into the Catholic Church, and presumably from a Protestant family. He does write about his conversion and other religious matters in his letters to his brother. Uh, I have not read them, unfortunately. I don't have time to get down there and read them. Uh, what caused him to choose Catholicism, uh, I don't know. Uh, I do know that the uh, Catholic Cathedral was right across the street from uh, the county jail in Galveston at the time. Uh, and you can see if you're watching here on, uh, on the screen, the date of his baptism, Father Sean Baudou uh, uh, baptized him, also was his godfather on uh, July 18, uh, 1878. Uh, sign there. That's courtesy, by the way, of Miss uh, Lisa May from the, archi- uh, the archivist of the Diocese of uh, Galveston, Houston. I want to thank her personally for this, uh, having us for this uh, interesting bit of history. But he had a choice, uh, as I mentioned, he could have, uh, I've I mentioned it, the county jail was across from um, the cathedral, you can see on this map if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not, you can find it on the internet, but uh, it's also right across the street from the First Presbyterian Church. I don't know why why he chose Catholicism. Perhaps it was just the efforts of Father uh, uh, Chambaudu, uh, ministering to priests. Uh, Might have been. Father Chambaudu seems like an interesting character. There were a couple of companies in the area that uh, fought in the Civil War, obviously Texas did. And one of them that mustered in Galveston and adjacent counties was made up of entirely French settlers. Uh, descendants of the army of Napoleon, in fact. They were all Catholics and apparently Father Du was a great favorite among them. And again, according to Lisa May, the article, uh, uh, he uh, there's an urban legend that uh, during the Battle of Galveston, the general commanding general, of the uh, Confederate forces, General Magruder, offered uh, Father Du the opportunity to fire a cannon against the Union army. So one of the things that may have attracted uh, Longley was this connection to the, to the Confederate Army. In any case, there were attempts to try to save his life. A petition was sent by, uh, I'm gonna butcher this, Nachidoches County in Texas asking for his pardon. And his cousin, a man named Alexander Press Longley, a newspaper man and a would-be poet from California, even wrote a letter to President Rutherford B. Hayes trying to get him a pardon, all in the end, to no avail. He was returned to Giddings, which is the seat of Lee County in uh, August, 1878. And the judge on September 6th sentenced sentenced him to death on October 11th, 1878. On the night before his execution, Longley wrote to his brother, Jim, I don't want, I dread this at all. Tomorrow this time I will be in a much better place. A priest from Austin, Texas, his father Spillard spent three hours with him the morning of his execution. And he was accompanied by him as well as a father Karat of Houston from the jail to his place of execution. He wore as he went to his death that day what some have described as a quote, Catholic medal around his neck which is perhaps a miraculous medal of Saint Catherine Labore, which seems a logical deduction given the fact that, you know, he was baptized by a French priest. It's probably what it was. Only one member of his family came to his hanging, his 10-year-old niece, Lizzie Carnes, who embraced him as he left the jail that morning and gave him a flower to pin on his coat. When he was finally on the scaffold and ready to be be hanged, he briefly addressed the crowd in these words, at least according to most reports. This is from the um, Democratic Weekly Statesman of Austin, Texas. Well, I haven't got much to say. I have got to die. I see a good many enemies around me, mighty few friends. I hope to God you will all forgive me. I will you. I hate to die, of course. Any man hates to die. But I have learned this by taking the lives of men who love life as well as I do. If I have any friends here, I hope they will do nothing to avenge my death. If they wish to help me, let them pray for me. I hear that my brother is in the crowd. I hope he ain't. But if he is, I hope he will not take anybody's life to avenge mine. I have done enough of that. I deserve this fate. It's a debt I owe for my wild, reckless life. When it is paid, it will be all over with. I hope you will all forgive me. I will forgive you. Whether you do or not, may God forgive me. I have nothing more to say. Longley then embraced Father Spillard and Karat and even the sheriff, Sheriff Brown, was actually a friend of his. Before they put the black cap over his head and the, and the noose around his neck, his last words to the crowd were, goodbye everybody. Rope was cut, Longley fell through the opening there was a problem, well, length of the rope. Uh, he hit the ground, there had to be some adjustments, but eventually they got things back working pretty quickly. Longley moaned several times trying to raise his arms, but he slowly strangled to death. And after 11 minutes, he was pronounced dead by three doctors. Brown then placed the body in a coffin and it was taken to the sound cemetery. Uh, and buried outside, just outside of the town cemetery. But this isn't the end of his story. Legends grew up around Longley's death. His father Campbell in 1887 was quoted in a newspaper article saying that the hanging had been a hoax, that a rich uncle in California, his uncle uh, Press Longley had bribed Sheriff Brown and his deputies with $4,000 and that a special harness had been used to fake the hanging. Longley was then supposed to have gone to South America uh, or Central America and become a landholder and cattleman. The story was never refuted in public. No one ever stepped forward to, to, you know, bring facts to contradict this. And so it became part of the legend surrounding his life. What actually happened was Campbell Longley's statement was trying to, was I guess an off-handed way of trying to, to ease the burden of his poor wife. His wife Sarah had simply never been able to deal with the fact that one of her children was a cold-blooded vicious murderer and had been hanged. She was so fragile about this the family actually uh, concocted letters from him in Utah territory where he allegedly was staying with a sister. And so this story sort of helped spread the mystery. There are other legends as well about his death. Another legend had it he kind a deal with the sheriff, and um, and that he, uh, the coffin lid as he was taken to the cemetery he was left ajar so he could breathe, and then where he hopped out and went on his way. Uh, and this all these legends grew and became part of another family folklore years later, when a mystery man, some believed to be Longley, surfaced in Louisiana in the early part of the 20th century. That man, a man named John Calvin Brown married, had a large family, and died a well-respected member of the Iberville, Iberville parish community in 1923. And so for many, for a hundred and over a hundred years, 130 years or so, there were these rumors that he didn't die on the scaffold. The story was kind of forgotten until the 1980s when someone published a book dredging all this up. Finally, in 1998, I should mention he was, I forgot to mention this, he was actually buried in an unmarked grave for, so after a while, after several decades, people lost track of where he was buried. In 1998, however, forensic researchers were brought in, discovered his grave just outside the Gideon Cemetery and dug it up. And what they found inside was a male Caucasian fitting his description. In 2001, DNA test revealed that the man inside the coffin was indeed William Preston Longley. Even before they had done this though, researchers thought they had found uh, the man himself because when they opened the coffin, they found two items on his body. One part of a yellow leaf that seemed to be part of the flower his niece had given him the day of his execution and as well as a medal, a Catholic medal worn around his neck. William Longley is part of legend and part of the uh, myth of the Old West. But in reality, he lived a, a pretty evil life, attacking freed slaves who just got their freedom, ambushing people, killing people out of spite. This someone who had good parents, a good home, was provided for, and turned to these sorts of things. And we should remember his victims, by the way. I say this as someone who, again, when you're a kid, you idolize Billy the kid, you idolize all these strong men because you want to be strong when you're a boy. But it's of course good to look at the history and look at the reality of it. It was, it was a, a, a tragic life because it wasted so much life. And yet, And yet, as people even during his lifetime admitted, he was sort of like the line from Macbeth, nothing so became his life like the leaving it. At the very least, at the end of his life, he recognized the error of his, errors of his ways. He reached out for forgiveness to God, most of all. And even though our lives aren't nearly as, uh, as, nearly as awful as those of uh, William Longley, we too are sinful people. And in his life, which is misspent, but also with the the courage of when he went to his death, we can see a little bit of ourselves in him. That even though we are, you know, hopefully better people than this, we also are to our people like him in need of redemption and need of God's grace and mercy. And so if we can, perhaps we can pray for him uh, and he can be saved. So can we. That is this week's episode of Catholic Lives. I wanna thank again um, Ms. Lisa May for her, uh, for her help in this episode. Next tune in next week for our next uh, next episode, which will deal with a, uh, the mo- probably the most brilliant medieval the- theologian you've never heard of. And also be on the lookout in the next couple of weeks for at the end of July, beginning of August, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled episodes of controversy in church history We'll get back into the deep dives. uh, Instead of doing the long lectures, we're doing uh, multiple episode takes. And in fact, I can reveal to you now the first topic for the new year will be uh, the traditionalist movement in the Catholic Church. It's kind of in the news right now. So we'll get into the origins and the history of that in a few weeks. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you. Take care and God bless.